You're listening to the Sill Podcast, perspectives on art and technology with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 5, Analog to Digital. Our brain is not binary. So we're discussing the movement from analog to digital and its effects on the world. And I was thinking about my own past, since I straddle analog to digital, as you do, and I thought, I better understand the difference. So I looked up YouTube, and I saw some videos, and I'm still unclear. I know that one is a kind of a wave, and the other is kind of made up of discrete points, but can you give me some more clarity on that? So think of a river that's flowing. Okay. An easier example to understand analog is with records. As the needle plays on the record and moves towards the center in a spiral action, it's continuous flow. Actually reads the bumps and dips in the grooves of the record and translates this information into an audio signal. Whereas a compact disc, for example, a laser is shining on the surface and it's sampling. So if you think of a, a map or a plotting graph where you're putting dots on a paper and then you're drawing the line through the dots... The line represents the wave. The dots represents the binary code. Zeros and ones. Does that make sense? Sort of. Are we talking about something like the difference between experience and information? In the sense that the flow can be argued as a kind of a human condition we experience through our senses, right. sight, feel. So it's kind of a measured flow. Right. Whereas binary is very quantitative, very stiff in a way. Right. Uh, everything is very defined. Okay, so even though the binary system has been around for many, many hundreds of years with Gottfried uh, Leibniz, the information age as such really only began recently. Right. right. Well, Leibniz was credited with inventing the binary code. He was a German philosopher and polymath in 1679. Mm -hmm. He was credited with this. But before that, you can trace it all the way back to the Chinese. Oh, I Ching, the I Ching and the yin-yang system in a way, uh, which is binary. Correct. That's how far back you would take it. Mm -hmm. But really in terms of the world that we have today, the technology of computers, you have to go to the mid-late 30s. And the best and most known example would be with the man who was credited with inventing the computer, which was... Alan Turing, of course. Alan Turing, the code breaker. And if you're not aware of it, he was responsible for the Enigma machine, which apparently saved millions of lives and reduced the war by many years in the system that he used to break the German codes. Right. So war, the military, really was the domain out of which binary code and the whole computerization of our world began. Not only that, the Internet itself was a military application. A lot of things in the digital world or in the technological advancements in recent decades mm -hmm. have been propagated by the military. Actually, even if you go back to the development of bows and arrows, better spears, metal, et cetera, et cetera, although it wasn't a computer technology, it was another form of industrial technology, which was to always outmaneuver, outpower your opposition. So you had to always invent and reinvent and faster, stronger, more powerful. Huh, that's interesting. So I wonder what that means in terms of the psyche of our society. 
given that we're so entrenched in the world of digital now, that itself originated out of a military mindset, I wonder whether there's anything there that is harmful or... Well, you could definitely draw correlations in terms of, you know, when you think of it on a military basis, you're thinking about something that's fast moving, sometimes arbitrary in terms of there's only one purpose to defeat or to win. So you're going to look mm -hmm. at things very, very differently. Right. And, and from that point of view, the military point of view, any action you take either results in gain or results in loss. There's no in-between in a way right? Yes or no, you're with us or you're against us, which really points at the whole polarization of society, of politics, of ideology. And there's a certain stiffness related to it that a lot of artists or musicians kind of rebel against today with this resurgence of vinyl records that we alluded to in the beginning of the conversation. Many will argue that the analog sound is superior to the digital sound. Hmm. Their basic argument is that the nuance that you have in analog music, you don't get in digital. Uh -huh. And translated into visual, I grew up in the age when television was introduced to society. And our screen was grainy. There was snowy elements to it. Walter Cronkite was not clear as a bell. Right. And digital came along and clarified the image Mm -hmm. and crisp and higher resolution, is that really an advancement in terms of our experience of what was on that screen? Color TV came into effect soon after that, the first color television sets. My mother couldn't afford one, so she went out and bought an acetate that was composed of three bands of color, and she slapped it on the front of the TV set and announced to her children... We have color oh, TV, right, right, right. and we watched Walter Cronkite and or Lucy with three bands of color across the screen thinking, color TV, cool, right? right. Uh, we didn't know any better, but it didn't make any difference. We still enjoyed what was coming through the screen, if you like. Right. Um, you, were, you were focused more on Walter Cronkite and what he was saying than the actual manifestation of the color. Yeah, the resolution, the color wasn't the most important thing. A lot of people today would argue the importance or the validity of digital technology. But again, you have to understand the primary reason for its development, and that is the development of computers. Computers cannot accept analog signals. So you have to translate whatever we have into the language of computers, which is binary code. Yeah, in other words, you can't come into this house unless you're scrubbed completely clean, put on these clinical clothes, right? and think zero and one thoughts, then you're welcome to come in and we can talk. Kind of like that, <laughs> but there's, there's opposition. And interestingly, it limits technology because they now know that going into virtual reality, which is the next big thing on the scene, there are limits. The digital world has to embrace the analog human qualities in order to really maximize the technology that they're developing because it will fail if it's not able to replicate the human senses, zeros and ones will not cut it. So are they building in artifacts, so to speak, into that perfect digital world to give the impression that it's analog? I don't know enough about it in technical terms. However, I've heard many, many discussions that say that that is the challenge. The challenge will be to make it as human as possible. Otherwise, it will not be accepted by society at large. The only reason they're going to it is because it's actually mimicking the human experience. 
To a degree. I mean, it can't mimic the, the tactile sensation you get by putting a needle on an LP. But that's where the challenge lies. Yeah. Uh, some of them are saying that they can. They just need to figure out how to tap into that. How do we mm. tweak the technology so that when... Well, I'll give you an example. Let's look at a keyboard on a computer. Now, we know that the computer is binary. However, a lot of time and money is spent on getting just the right keyboard for that computer because people will actually purchase a computer based on the feel of that keyboard. The feel of the keyboard is actually analog. How that key responds to your finger, whether it's soft, hard, right. actually has the right sound. People are actually influenced by the sound the keyboard makes. So the, the door to that digital house is being painted in lovely colors that, that humans appreciate. And the sound when, when you knock on that door to the digital house has a very pleasing sound. Nonetheless, you're really entering the world of digital, period. Right. And, right. you know, I can say from my experience, when I first encountered digital, which was back in the mid-'80s, when a computer was put in front of me for the first time, mm -hmm. I had this immediate aversion to the whole thing. I didn't want to go there. I was Why? happy. Well, I was working Why? on a magazine at the time, and I was happy cutting and pasting strips of type and images onto a, a layout board that would then go to a printing company, and they would photograph it and print our magazine. Suddenly, this computer was in front of me, and I was expected to learn this language of applications and software, PageMaker Pro, what the heck is that, and begin to work what I did with my hands tactilely on the screen, virtually. Mm -hmm. And although it made my job ultimately easier in the end, I kind of missed that tactile feeling, that feeling of do-it-yourself, hands-on. And you, I mean, you were in that same world as well, yes, right? Yes, I you, was. You uh, went into the computer world in your way. Yes. Well, actually, my experience, I could take it back even further. I could take it back to the summer of 65, which deals more specifically with what we began the conversation with, discussing music and records. I remember working an entire summer, getting enough funds to buy a reel-to-reel -reel recorder because I was fascinated with the whole ability to record things. Not only record things, but record them at a high-quality level. So my experience then was a little bit different than yours in the sense that my immediate response to the oncoming technologies when it did arrive, because this was back in 1965, so this was quite a bit before music went into the digital domain and compact disc. But when it did, I remember being enthralled by the idea that I could do so much, so much quicker and without having to splice and cut, you know, with razor blades. And it took me an hour to put together something that now would take me a minute and a half. So mm -hmm. I was kind mm -hmm. of swayed a little bit the other way. Yeah, But I completely still appreciate what others miss in the process of doing things because there, there was a lot to be said for the actual process of cutting and splicing. And Sure. I mean, uh, the, the assumption is that quicker is better. Not always. Uh, not always. I mean, look, the, the Beatles recorded their earlier songs on a four-track Fostex machine, which I also recorded stuff on back in the day. Right. And it was actually a lot of fun figuring out which tracks to bump to another track and to overlay and that sort of thing. And it took a while, but it was really an enjoyable experience. Not only that, without that process, a lot of the things that are used today in a digital format would not have been developed because the process of them doing all that work, of developing ideas, of wrapping tapes around poles and an entire room filled with tapes crisscrossing, mm -hmm. uh, they learned the method of doing it so that when technology was developed, that process had already been done. You didn't have to figure out what you wanted to get. You already got that.
Yeah. What you needed to do now was to develop the technology that would allow you to bring that into a computer and eliminate wrapping tape around poles and cutting with scissors and, and, and so on. So mm -hmm. you would have missed the actual creation of that. Right. And for an artist, creation is the name of the game. Mm -hmm. Right. So I can see how uh, artists, although they've come into the digital world in different ways, I think still intrinsically fight against it in some ways because of the clinical nature of it, cleaned up nature of it. But I think that's also why a lot of artists and musicians do well to work hand in hand with people like that, because the technician understands that the artist comes from a different place. And he's offering the technical expertise to help them. And the musician, in turn, is looking at them and going, you know, I'm glad I don't have to do that because I just want to be in here with my buddies creating the music. Then you can cut it and splice it any way you want. I just want to hear the finished product. Mm -hmm. There's a kind of a happy medium. So I understand the resistance to certain things. But at the same time, I embrace things that it offers. We have to be able to look at these developments and understand whether they're beneficial to the human spirit. I mean, to me, that's the question we have to ask about every technological development since we're in the technological age. What about three generations from now? Right. Right? For those generations that have never experienced what we experienced mm -hmm. in childhood, and that is their world from cradle to grave, is the digital world. In the 50s, the 60s, and 70s, as the computer was kind of becoming more sophisticated, where along the line did we have the discussion, where is this going to lead? How is this going to affect society? How is it going to affect the human psyche? We never really had that discussion, per se. How does technology replace a handshake? Uh, or a dance. Uh, or a dance. Or fingers on a, on a rotary dial with that tactile and that audio sound that you get. Um, and interestingly, they now create sounds that replicate those analog sounds that we're accustomed to. You buy an iPhone, but you can get the old ringer on it. Right. But the replications, they're simulations. We're living in a hugely simulated world. And as far as the psyche is concerned, many parts of our psyche work with simulation. When you imagine something, you're kind of simulating an experience. It isn't quite there. It's a virtual Mm -hmm. thought form and imagination, right? But when that imagination is given to you virtually, it's not the same thing. I'm taking packets of information emanating out of your language, out of the words you're, you're putting into the air, and I'm reconstituting them in my psyche, in my brain, to my consciousness, interpreting them and doing the same thing back to you. The danger is that I'm going to treat everything you communicate as information, Suddenly, I'm not engaging another human spirit. I'm engaging information. Understood. And organizing information. So I would argue that the way we communicate with each other has been affected by this movement from analog to digital. Well, definitely. Even simpler things, which you see every day, the use of short forms in, in text messaging. When I go to write something now, I used to write fairly effortlessly. Now, sometimes I actually have to move my hand for a few seconds before I do my signature at times because I don't have that smooth flow mm -hmm. that I once had. And, and I'm not an extreme case because I come from a generation that still employs both levels. No matter how technical I may be, there's still a strong analog side to my existence mm -hmm. uh, simply because of the era that I was born in and what I experienced. And even like you said, in this conversation right now, 
uh, as you said, I'm much more in tune with the nuance that I'm experiencing here, not just the information. I'm looking at your face. I'm looking at what you nod to or what you nod against. There's much more happening here than just sure. an exchange of information. Yeah. Uh, back in the 1920s, Rudolf Steiner, who was a spiritual scientist uh, connected to the Theosophical Movement, it was a time when there were phonograph records brought into the world. And he basically said that you may be thinking you're listening to real music when you play that phonograph, but you're not listening to real music. You're listening to something that is a simulated form of music. Don't be fooled into thinking you're listening to real music. And we have fallen into his danger zone in that we think we're listening to real music when we play our CD for example, or we go to YouTube and listen to something. We're not listening to the real thing. We're listening, We're listening to, to a, a, simulation. a simulation. And when we lose track of that, we lose track of the true nature of, of our experiences. And maybe that's why live performances are so popular. Mm-hmm, to this day. I think people just need to be aware of how they are in the world. Are they in a zero-one world daily? In other words, do they judge every experience that comes at them as a yes, no, or I like that, I don't like that? Or are they able to think more deeply about beyond, these things? Beyond, beyond. Beyond the polarities, beyond what ideology says you should or shouldn't believe, beyond what religion says you should or shouldn't believe, or even beyond what your education tells you you should or should not understand as true. Right. You know, to actually think for ourselves means to step out of analog or digital and to find, from my point of view, that artistic third element that uh -huh. joins the two, that sits there semi-invisibly between the two. Mm-hmm. I wonder how many people actually think about that, Harry. That's a... The Sill Podcast... Perspectives on Art and Technology is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at ConnectingDotsMedia.com.